to the No BS Short-Term Rental Podcast, an unfiltered look into the global vacation and short-term rental industry. I'm Mateo Bradford. And I'm John Stokinger. And this is our podcast. We bring the right people to the table at the right time, giving you an inside view and take on the short-term rental industry like no other podcast can. Episode 26, Mateo. Good morning. Good morning, John. 2,500 downloads. I know we hit it in 26 we, episodes. That's crazy. Well, man. in 25, I, so in 25. I go back and forth. Yeah. You know, we're getting there. Go back and forth. 2,500, man. Like it, I, again, I know it's not like oh, we don't have millions of streams and stuff like that, but hey, man, like that's significant. Congratulations, I, man. I, I, I sit here and I, I think about the, the downloads and like, I try not to think about it, but I also think about it. And then I'm like, you know, and I see these like major, these major, you know, podcasters and even some of the ones that are in our space and listen to how many, they all started someplace. And, and the, yeah. and the difference I think is, is our, what we're putting together just so different than what anyone else is putting together and to get, you know, averaging over now over a hundred, you know, downloads an episode and it's growing, um, you know, every week, um, you know, it's pretty significant. I'm, I'm very pleased and I'm, I'm excited to what we're doing here. Man, me too, man. I'm excited. I think it's interesting. There's lots of good stuff coming up, man. Um, lots of good t- content from lots of different people. And, you know, I, that's what I love about this space, man. Like there really is just, there's so much room to grow for everyone. Um, shout out to Alex and Annie. Can't wait to hear their podcast that they have coming out. Will continue to put out great content. Um, and maybe there's some collabs coming down the, the pipeline. So this is fun, man. We're in uncharted territory, but uh, congratulations to you, my brother. I appreciate you and all the work you do to make these pod- this podcast a success. Now, episode 26, we got a great guest today. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we our, our we paths have crossed, but not necessarily. So I'm excited to learn some more um, today. So I'll let you do your. Really met. This guy I can't like believe it icon. either. Like but, and he's, you can't miss him when he's in the building. He's like, how, how tall are you? Six. Tall are you? Yeah, push, pushing six six. Yeah. So, ladies, gentlemen, STR world, we have the one, the only, Mickey Croft from <laughs> Vector Travel, uh, co-founder of rented.com um and there's uh you know we michael andrew and the last person in one of the actually the reason i'm in this space is our guest today mickey welcome to the no bullshit short term <laughs> podcast man this is a long time coming yeah well, thank you Mateo. thank you john and i will disagree with you the reason you're in this space is because you're an awesome dude who performs well and uh you know, you just found the fit and you ran with it and, and you thrived. So I think we're all grateful for your participation in the uh, in the short-term rental industry. Mickey, no, nah, you're, you're, being, you're being too kind. Thank you. Uh, I, I say, we have to stop, though. For those who are watching on YouTube, you have to see Mickey's shirt today. Like, <laughs> Mickey has uh, this, like, fly cowboy shirt. Like, he looks like he's about to leave the podcast in, in I don't know. Not to the club, but you're going somewhere, brother. Anyway, I'm going. Uh, I'm going. Um, yeah. <laughs> are you? No. So, but. so, I, so, but while we jump into this, I, you know, I know the world knows who you are uh, for Vector and what you're doing in the space. You do. You've been doing quite a bit in the industry, shaking things up, speaking at conferences. Um, I'm, I'm going to let you kind of tell your story, but I want the whole story, Mickey, because you're a dynamic individual, brother. You're a musician. You're a former you're a former professional baseball player. You're a Harvard grad. You're an awesome father. You're an awesome girl dad, awesome husband. Like, Mickey, you are you're a pretty incredible man, a pretty incredible guy, man. So how the hell did you get into this space? I just watched his head grow like way yeah seriously so whatever I tell me you can't, you can't even out the line you can't play any instruments <laughs> well, he's a musician hey man look i, I, wrote, I wrote some songs yeah, yeah. I, I sing karaoke yeah. that's, at this point yeah, but I, uh, I have plenty of video of that bro yeah. <laughs> um yeah even the most recent vrma I don't, I don't know if you, uh, yeah, anyway, I think Guesty, Guesty has the videos, but, uh, but yeah, man, I, uh, I grew up in Atlanta. I, I just recently relocated back to Atlanta, so it's good to be back. I've seen my friend Mateo a few times now, though, um, you know, not, not as often as I think any of us would like. He's just such a lovable, likable guy. Uh, but, 
Yeah, I, I was a baseball player. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the more meta thing there is I'm just kind of extreme, like whatever I do, I kind of go all out. Um, and, and I try to, at this point in my life, I try to keep what I do limited to a handful of things so that I can focus and do well in whatever I, I take on and I just block out the rest of it. But, uh, but yeah, I was a baseball player. It's probably a little too serious for my own good. And, uh, you know, that, that got me into, a, you know, an elite institution. I, you know, I got to go to Harvard, played there, uh, played minor league baseball for as long as they let me, which wasn't long, but, you know, uh, have some experiences which are pretty fun to, to reflect upon. Um, you know, spring training being probably the best part, like, Pudge Rodriguez catching bullpens next to me, catching Verlander, I was a catcher, so catching Verlander, um, going out drinking with those guys, you know, Maglio Ordonez, buying those shots for everybody. I mean, these, these names are long since retired for the most part. I'm a diehard, I'm a diehard baseball fan, uh, diehard Red Sox mm-hmm. fan, uh, growing, growing up in England, but I, I, I could talk baseball all day, so. Awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. So it's it's been an exciting postseason, especially here in Atlanta. Uh, go Braves. Yeah. So, go Braves. But uh, yeah, man, I think that was my, you know, that was my first passion, uh, my first love, like like many young young boys and men, you know, and then that one dies, right? You got to you gotta backfill. You got to find something else. And I had no clue what I wanted to do. Uh, I settled in commercial real estate basically because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I realized you could do so many different things. You know, you could do things on the design side, uh, you know, maybe you get an advanced degree and you do architecture, but even if you don't, like there's, there's a design element that the lay people on a development team or construction team can have access to. And then there's uh, so, you know, there's ideation, there's fundraising, financing, um, then there's design creation, you know, so actual physical product being made. And then there's leasing it, you know, selling it, whatever it is, that marketing uh, component. And then maybe, maybe something, you know, maybe a disposition at the end. And so that's kind of where I cut my teeth just in the business world. Um, so that was my 20s. And then when I, I don't know, whatever the year, I think it was 2012, uh, I, I turned 40 in a couple of weeks. So uh, 2012, McConnell and I, uh, you know, co-founded what became rented.com. So it was vacation futures first. We had some really big vision of what it was, going to become um, with, you know, securities being traded ultimately. None of that shit ever happened. But uh, anyway, it was it was fun. Got got me into the entrepreneurial world and and more specifically within the uh, the short term rental vacation rental space, uh, which is you know where I, I currently operate. And then 2018 co-founded uh, uh, Vector Travel. So we're a multifamily hospitality company. We've only ever done revenue share. I think you know it's somewhat passe now, but um, in 2018 we were we were honestly a little early, um, but we stuck to it and we've lost so many deals because we wouldn't lease or we wouldn't guarantee anything. But uh, but what we I think what we've built a reputation on now is simple stuff: just doing what we say we'll do, uh, delivering value for clients and for guests, taking care of our employees, you know, and and ultimately building and growing um, and delivering that in more and more places. Uh, you know, geographically, but also industry-wise, and so, so um, yeah, man, it's been it's been a difficult ride, just like many of us have had, especially on the urban side of short-term rentals in the last eighteen months or whatever. But uh, right. here we still are. Yeah, and and I know you had a hell of a year last year. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, we'll just kind of dig into that, but you know, I don't want to gloss over the fact like you know you made a pivot early in, in terms of walking away from arbitrage and really building a smarter system and, and, a, and a smarter way to work with you know the supply side of builders and developers and others in this space um when it you know everyone was still gung-ho on the arbitrage and they can make it work and even with all the shitty data and everything else that was out there and people trying to you know stick square pegs into round holes you know what Again, like talk to me about that because I, I I saw it from my perspective and I was I think I was closer than others, but you know you were passionate about it and you really drove it home. And I don't think people understand the amount of doors that were slammed in your face, the amount of deals that you lost. So like when you look at where Vector's at and the success that you've been able to bring Vector to came in the face of a lot of adversity. Can you talk to us a little bit about that because you were at the forefront of that. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, as you point out, like I used to be a proponent of 
of arbitrage, right? I mean, that's what we did. We had, we had Rinna.com, you know, used to be a marketplace for acquiring units. Um, now it's a, you know, really solid revenue management service with, you know, AI tools and all, you know, great, great tools for vacation rental and short-term rental operators. But, uh, but back then it was that. And then we realized if we would take a little bit of risk in these deals, we could also clear more of them, you know, and help our, our clients, the operators, and we grow together and, you know, help the homeowners and, and, you know, ultimately developers. We started with vacation homes and then we expanded into uh, the urban scene. But, uh, but yeah, and we were doing that. We were deploying that capital. Uh, and when I left Vector, I mean, honestly, I thought everything was going great. You know, I think we were, we were deploying more and more. The deals look great on paper uh, and in our spreadsheets. And, you know, I, I guess I, I left soon enough where I still felt good about that. But what I realized, it wasn't, it wasn't so much that I thought that that was necessarily going to fail, at least in the short run or whatever, um, you know, rented or any of the, you know, the lyrics or the, I mean, look, Sandra lost $200 million last year, right? So it's a tough business to run, the rental arbitrage thing. But I realized it was difficult. And I realized that, you know, the vacation rental model that, that was the mainstream thing that we had been fighting against for years really did work, right? It just worked in a kind of a fractured uh, format. And yet we had seen Vicasa, you know, starting to build that national, uh, and actually by that point, they're already international. Right. Um, so there was success yeah. there. And uh, and then we also look at hotels, you know, you, you already had that sort of um, segmentation on function. So you had ownership, and then you had brand, you know, brand marketing, and then you had operators. I mean, we're not even there yet in short-term rentals. The operators are also the brands, but that's it's starting probably to. You to can see it. you can see that hybrid thing kind of coming together, though. Totally, totally, yeah. So, so anyway, so in 2018, I just said, all right, I'm, you know, hey, these guys can do it at Vacasa. Maybe I can too. And nobody's doing revenue share, you know, pure revenue share, full service short-term rentals. Uh, within multifamily. Now, you, to be fair, you had apartment jet at the time that was close, but not exactly what we were doing. And then you had Y Hotel that was close, but not exactly what we were doing. Um, and, you know, so we, we just went to market with that and we started with local developers and that's where we found our yeses to begin with. Um, and, you know, one and then the next and the next and then the next. And, um, and, you know, one thing that I generally knew I didn't want to do was work with individual homeowners. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things McConnell is fond of saying is, you know, never say never. I mean, so I'm not going to say I'll never work with individual homeowners again, uh, but there's just so much to do with B2B supply. Um, you know, you've got multifamily, you've got build to rent, maybe there's small boutique hotels, there's resorts, there's there's all right. kinds of businesses. So much opportunity there anyway. So why, why even make the more like muddy the waters even more with having to do right. with individual homeowners? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and for those, you know, listening or watching, I mean, I'm glad you do what you do. Uh, it's just different. You know, we service businesses, the reporting is different. It's 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 a little more rigorous and rigid, I think, in some ways, but it's also less frequent. Uh, so there's trade-offs. And so we can we, right. we just prefer that framework. And and there's there's room for both. I mean, that's you know, there's there are, you know property management companies that all they deal with is homeowners and that's their bread and butter. And, you know, and it's just a different business model. Doesn't yeah. make it better or worse. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Talk to me yeah. about your growth. Um, you know, you, where, where are you sitting that inventory wise and where do you see yourself go? You know, it's where, you know, Q4 now in, you know, 2021, you know, where do you see yourself next year? How, you know, where, what's your trajectory looking like? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, um, it, it's been it's been great, you know. Like overall, pulling back, it's it's been quite a ride. We've generally been a high growth business, so I think is 2019 we grew by about 300 percent. 2020, at least we grew, right? right. I think we grew by about 30 percent. Um, and look, we've never raised equity capital, so first and foremost, I think. I'm just grateful that we're still here. Uh, you know, we, we, we made it through, uh, granted the pandemic's still going, people are dying, not lost on me, but we made it through well enough that um, it's normalized a little bit. It's, it's baked into any decision that's going on for a consumer or for a client. And, uh, and we're, we're growing and thriving quite a bit again. Um, 
you know, a lot of the first part of this year was ultimately flat. You know, there is some churn when you deal with B2B where, um, you know, maybe you lose one or two homeowners or whatever, and that's no big deal because you assign five or 10 more. If you lose a building with 30 units, well, you got to make sure you replace right. that with another 30 units, not 10, right? And so, so that was, that was trying, that was difficult, but we've, we've also solved that. We're at, we're, you know, I think we started the year with a few hundred units, uh, maybe, maybe pushing 400. We got about fifteen hundred live now, um, so that's pretty cool. Oh. Um, yeah, and that's exponential growth. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it wasn't. It, it's not. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's not. It's not even smooth, right? I can't. No. I can't show you a chart where it's like it's just like this, and then like boom, and it jumps up, and um, and then you that's your new normal, right? And, and you want maybe plateau for a minute. You want to make sure you execute well, um, service it well, operate really well, but then, I mean, I'm just a growth-oriented person, so I'm going to be looking for that next growth channel, whether it's a new client or uh, a new service line, a new industry to serve, whatever. I, I think something that, you know, to that when you're dealing with individual homeowners, it's like this home, this home, this home, this home. But when you're dealing with B2B, and especially in a, you know, a COVID world now where, you know, where we had uh, resources where, you know, I'm, building was brought to a halt. Like I, I, I can only imagine that, you know, when, when you, when you're talking about that 30% growth from a 300% growth year, that a lot of that is the, the fact that, you know, builders couldn't get supplies and, you know, we're, we're starting to see the supply. We talked about this actually last week, the supply chain is going to be, you know, coming back to bite us too. And that's something that, you know, as a B2B or whatever, however you're running your business, these are, you're going to run into, you know, resource issues which you know potentially may or may not you know inhabit you know inhibit not inhabit uh, your growth moving forward as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. Uh, I think the thing where we feel that most directly is in setting up units. I mean, that's part of our our value add. You know, a vacation homeowner may move from one to the next, and it's already furnished, whatever. Unless it's, right. so unless it's a new owner, you may not have to solve for that. With us, we almost always have to solve for that one way or another. Um, you know, even if it's a partially furnished unit, it's not kitted out for somebody to show up with a suitcase and have everything they need for a two-week stay. So, so we do that, you know, in mass, right? We're usually doing, um, you know, it's it's not a hundred units at a time typically. It's more like fifteen units per setup. Uh, but that's a lot of it's a lot of shit, right? <laughs> you, right. you gotta um, if if any one set of items doesn't show up, well, that's going to limit you. Uh, that's going to create the bottleneck on the, on that all 15 units going live. And so we just gotten really hustly. We've, we've, I mean, we've always been that way. I think it's just part of our, our DNA as a, as a company. Um, but we've gotten more creative. And so we found some other furniture sources. We've figured out ways to solve things locally. If we can't solve it, you know, through uh, sort of remote means and, um, yeah, and we're just we're we're nimble. We don't we don't just throw up our hands and say, oh well, you know, Amazon can't deliver this for ten days or two weeks, or we just we find another way. So I think that's interesting too, because you know, there's competitors in your space that have a lot of money and have been throwing a lot of money, right, Mickey? Oh. And it, I, I think we've seen their inability to kind of you know, turn that investment into something larger because of operational issues, right? And so, and the challenges that come on the backside of that, whether it's CapEx and like furniture or, or you know, supply chain issues or, or just, or, or human capital issues, right? So it, it's, when you look at a company like Vector and you look at, you know, you know the people who compete with you in the space that you're in, you know, how do you continue to, do what you're doing, you know, with the limited resourcing that you have, right? Like there's a lot of money. Your, your competitors have a lot of money. Yeah. Right? They're building tech stacks. They're doing all kinds of crazy things, right? To, you know, to, I guess, follow whatever path they think is right for their business. And, you know, I think you've been able to show that all of that is not necessary, right? In, in order to, it, it's really about how you run your business. It's really about one of the things I think you said is can you be nimble and on the fly, right? And can you turn the ship around and can you can you steer this ship through through choppy waters? And I don't think, you know, I, I know you. And so, you know, I know the vision that you put 
and, and I know the effort that you put into your business down to the minutia. Um, I, I just want to know how you continue to do that and continue to outpace people that are so much you know, better capitalized than you have so much more, you know, in, you know, influence and can buy and can hire, right? Like, and you're fighting with these guys. How does yeah. that happen, Mickey? How do you do this? Well, you, you framed the question kindly. I mean, I'm not sure if we have, right? I mean, some of these guys, uh, yeah, some of them went under. Um, and I think that that was, you know, the, the capital and the board that came with it were probably a bit of an albatross uh, around their necks, right? Where they were they were married to a strategy that wasn't working, um, and then they were beholden to that board. Um, you know, when shit hit the fan, and they had to do something. And you know, I don't know the details of some of those larger companies that went under, um, but my guess is they returned a lot of the capital to their investors. I doubt all of the capital evaporated just because of the pandemic. I doubt they just continued to stroke checks to pay rent, right? Um, I think I think somebody just stopped believing in what they were doing. So in in that sense, it's been a, a boon to us that we didn't have that outside influence where we could say, all right, let's hit the brakes. You know, um, we had setups pending or you know, deals stacked in March of 2020, which is kind of when we realized that this was hitting. It was a tough decision being a growth-oriented person, right? To say, all right, we're not doing these, you know, sorry. And then I, you know, some of those clients we still don't work with, right? So we really had to get good with the fear of missing out, right? We had to, we had to right. be comfortable with that. Um, you know, then in other ways, I've seen some of our competitors now rolling out some kind of ops software technologies. And those may wind up being awesome, right? Where they, I, but my my story is, my guess is, their boards have sort of pushed them into something that potentially has a higher margin, and it might just be a little bit easier to grow. You know, it, it involves less humans, less sales, um, less less stops, and that's great. Uh, I mean, look, I've been tempted by that too, and, and maybe we'll still do some of that at, at some point, but we haven't been forced to do it. And, you know, I feel like if we do it, it's it's going to be our own choice. So I think uh, that is good, but look, it's, as you're saying, it's getting, it's getting deep, right? It's getting, it's getting to be where uh, some of the competitor companies are really well capitalized. Maybe some of them have secret sauce. I think for the most part, a lot of the tech they wind up developing in-house, you know, is, there's also an off-the-shelf uh, solution that, that could be good. Um, we have some proprietary tech, but we leverage a lot of off-the-shelf stuff. I mean, we're we're guest users, for example, and we like that. Now we've built on top of that uh, some of our own, you know, bespoke tech, but but it's still ultimately a third-party uh, tech stack there. And so so we'll see. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I think we found ways to continue to to you know take care of guests. And so that's, that takes care of everybody, right? The guests pay the bills. And that's the case in vacation rentals. It's the case in urban short term rentals, um, in resorts where we also operate. And then we keep our clients first. Um, you know, I, I think of myself as generally a servant leader, but I think really our, our company is a servant. Um, you know, it, we serve our clients who don't have a hospitality function, they don't want one, um, and, and right. or, or, a, or a good short-term rental function if it's if it's resorts. Maybe they have local hospitality, but they don't have uh, the same online chops that we have in terms of generating bookings. So we serve them. We put their needs first, and and it, it generally works for us. And that's old school, right? <laughs> no right. amount of capital is going to change whether you do that one, and then if you do it well. I mean, that's just will, um, and that's a mindset. When, and we've had these conversations before. I mean, the capital and in, in you definitely mentioned it, you know, when, once you start throwing outside capital in, you know, it's not now the vision is muddied. Now the vision is like what, what you know, there's a reason they threw money into that, into that business. And if you can go ahead and bootstrap it and, you know, more power to you. Yeah. Now that said, I mean, I think we are reaching that point where part of it's external, part of it's internal. It's like, well, how much more do we want to do on our own? You know, how, right. how, how many more personal guarantees do I want to make as a founder, right? I mean, I think others listening to this are probably in that same position. Um, it's not a comfortable thing. As you mentioned, Mateo, I've got three daughters. I've got a, I've got a very lovely, patient wife. Um, you know, so I think we've, we've kind of earned our way out of that, that, that place. And maybe we will look at some outside capital now. Maybe we'll look, we'll look at a recapitalization of some kind. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, you know, otherwise, 
looking back, I'm glad we did it this way. I'm glad we um, kind of stayed on our own. We kept control and then, you know, just made sure we had great people on our team um, and we did right by everybody. I, I can sleep well at night as a result. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, growth and, and where, and where you see yourself, you mentioned, you know, that you're a growth guy. You, you now you've just now kind of mentioned the, the possibility of bringing in the right capital to help, you know, you know, you're not sure where you're going to go. Well, like where, where is, you know, where is Vector going? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, that's, that's a tough one. I think, uh, occasionally somebody might knock on the door and say, Oh, wow, you guys are bootstrapped. We'd love to, we'd love to have that inventory or, or, you know, whatever. We'd love to have that business line. So I'd be lying if I said I didn't entertain that option, right. To, to potentially sell to a larger uh, company. But, um, I think other than that, the thing that's that's really exciting is the idea of not venture capital, because I really don't think that's a good fit for anybody in this space, uh, but more like growth equity capital. So, so you know, I think of it as if there's a continuum and you have VC on one side and you have private equity for the big boys, it's somewhere in between. Um, so you've de-risked it a little bit as the operator. You built, you know, maybe a little bit more of a stable business. It's diversified in some ways. It's growing. You've got processes, people, culture, um, maybe some IP. And then they can come in, infuse their capital. Maybe they take a minority stake. Maybe it's a majority stake. It depends on the firm or, or in, in the operator's preferences. Um, but it's all built around, you know, growing and then maybe innovating what's currently done. I mean, look. I don't have it. There's no other executives on the team. That's kind of a problem as this business gets larger and larger. Um, you know, we, we use some, we, like we have a part time CFO, but uh, that should change. <laughs> Just, right. I'm, I'm somebody who also like I really honestly embrace change all the time. And I try not to be, uh, you know, somebody who's who's messing with internal meetings and things too often. But just yesterday, for example, I did that. I'm like, hey, why are we doing this stand up on a Tuesday right after we have an hour long meeting on Monday? Let's just kill it, you know. Um, and the team's like, oh god, here he goes again, right? But uh, but but otherwise, I no, I, I I just want to say, you kill a stand up. That's good news in my book. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we were a remote organization before this whole thing started. Right. We're you know, still a remote organization and uh, we just, we have good people that I know are going to do their jobs no matter what. And so don't get me wrong. There's got to be some accountability. So, you know, the solution there was just post into Slack what you did yesterday, you know, how you're going to move the business forward today. And isn't that effectively what we do anyway? Um, yeah. So yeah, it's all good. But, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, I think, I'm ready for that change. I think, I think the organization is ready for it. I think, um, you know, I think when you bootstrap and you're high growth, you, you have to make a lot of trade-off decisions on a regular basis around resources, uh, resource allocation that I think we, you know, again, maybe we've earned our way. Maybe we deserve not to make as many trade-off decisions. <laughs> um, maybe not have to wait on that hire, maybe not wait on, building that software tool or launching that new version of your website or whatever it might be. Um, I think, I think we're just ready to, to, to go to that next level. It's exciting, man. I, it's exciting yes. to hear, to hear what you, you're, you've built and, and it sounds like your, your team's pretty solid and, and you're, you're ready for that next step, whatever that may be. And uh, I'm excited to see the growth for you. I'm just, you know, only positive things from here. Thank you, John. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I do have to give it to the team. Oftentimes, they'll say like, hey, man, awesome job. Like, I still do the BD. Uh, and they'll say, awesome job getting that client. Or it's like, well, hey, I didn't, I didn't have to do any of the ops. So I was free to go do that. Uh, and furthermore, what are we even selling, right? We sell a solution that is that operation. It's, it's a combination of technology and contracts and, you know, operations and people. So, Anyway, yeah, I, I really am grateful for the team. I mean, they, they make this whole thing happen. Well, and Mickey, you, you do a different type of sale. Uh, you do a very smart sale, right? To a bit of a more sophisticated customer, I guess, right? Like at the end of the day. But I think what, you're, what you do today and what you've kind of been doing is the, is the business of the future, right? It's, it's data-based right? It's, it's showing ROI. It's, it's an intelligent, well put together, you know, 
presentation um, that shows, you know, why this makes sense, right? In convincing, you know, and has worked in convincing people that have been highly skeptical of our industry, highly skeptical of the space, highly skeptical of anything other than what they've been doing traditionally, right? And so this, you know, it's, you're coming from an industry that's going through this generational shift. You're selling into another portion of this industry where, you know, you know, your background clearly shines in in commercial real estate, right? And, you know, having that ability to know that you can bring what they're looking for to the table to, you know, gain opportunities in this space. It's about showing people, right? Like we talk about verbs all the time. And at the end of the day, sales isn't difficult. We can make it as complex as we want to, but at the end of the day, it's our purchases made. Can you close, right? Can you get and can you convince this person, this business to buy what you're bringing them and seeing their benefit, right? It's, it's a different space. It's not just now, Hey, give me your inventory. And maybe this is what you'll be. I mean, you the data has changed everything, right? You, well, have to be- but that, you know, that is the paradox of it, I guess. Um, and, and also the, at times the difficult portion where, you know, the thing that, makes us valuable to them is that it is different. You know, it's a different technology stack. It's a different process or set of processes. It's different people. It's a different culture to, to be hospitality. Um, even if it's the same inventory, you know, right now I'm speaking about multifamily, um, even though we yep. do some stuff outside of that now, but, um, uh, and yet, you know, it is a bit of the, what do you say? Square peg round hole, right? It's like, mm-hmm. Yeah, those 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 are communities that we're coming into. You know, if we if we only have 15 units and there are 300, well, you know, it's sort of a drop in the bucket of of what the onsite team is focused on, what residents are looking at, or whatever. So, um, you know, it, I think it it underscores the need to be a really solid operator on the ground. You know, you got to clean them well. You got to be a good steward of the asset. You got to monitor for parties or, or anything, you know, crazy. You can't control it, but you got to monitor, monitor it and, and, and respond to it quickly. You got to take ownership of it. And then ultimately, as you pointed out that, you know, the, the, the groups hiring us, I mean, it's about the money, right? I mean, ultimately they're looking for, they're looking for NOI, um, they're looking for ancillary income. And, uh, and yeah, we've got to do that. We've got to do that well. Um, some of our clients hold us to a standard that's you know, net of expenses and our fees and everything. You know, it's premiums on their rent, premium returns. Right. And I can't even fault them for it. It's like, all right, if we're going to do something that is not our core focus with, I mean, even just 5% of a really large portfolio, it's like, all right, well then, you know, you guys better put up or, uh, or we're going to just lease the units. And then, you know, an interesting thing that I'm starting to track is multifamily rents are on the rise, you know, so um, I don't know, we'll see where that goes, you know, and that's, that's not necessarily driven now by short rental companies going in and leasing units. Um, I think it's, I think it's more just exogenous sort of market conditions and, and um, residents need, needing housing and the ability to drive. A hundred percent. It's a hundred percent residents needing housing, the lack of housing. And, and which in turn get, you know, obviously allows the drive up in the price, which in turn, you know, get makes your margins smaller to work with, to go ahead and improve ROI when you're given 10% or whatever percent of the inventory of a, of their portfolio. That's uh, it's a super consultative sale. Um, Like, like anything that is, you know, in our space or in any space that, you know, where there's so many moving parts, you know, it's, right. it's building that relationship and, and, and trust and with the consultative background behind it with, you know, obviously, you know, with that is your, your analytics and your, and all that data. Um, but trust and, you know, in, in showing that, you know, we're, we're going to prove to you over time that this is uh you know, that you're going to get X amount over what you're currently doing. And, and you're obviously doing it, you know, up to 1500 units right now. This is pretty impressive. Yeah. Thank you. Let's be clear. Those multifamily prices are going up because people haven't been paying rent for a year plus too. Like it's not the, it's yeah. again, I, I, I know short-term rentals has an effect, but we're not the cause. Right? It, no. By far. And, you know, the, the, the prices were ridiculously high prior to COVID happening and prior to the pandemic. Right. And so uh, there's lots of unused multifamily inventory 
because they're not building it to house the masses. They're building it for a certain demographic. And, you know, that's an issue that we got to talk about as communities and, and kind of figure these things out. But I do think short term rentals can be the answer to a lot of these questions. And yeah, I mean, look, we, um, during the during the depths of the pandemic, we, we paid on time every time, you know, and then you had the corporate lease guys defaulting or at least selectively defaulting, right? They're dropping their right. products. Um, and then you had, you know, some properties impacted by residents, not not uh, paying rent. So right. we were a really nice solution, I think, for our clients. We didn't lose clients through the pandemic, um, you know, through, right. through 2020. So, so that was interesting. And then it's also been I think good to see that coming out of that, you know, the others have been able to pivot into this and they haven't been burned by it too much. You know, even if they defaulted on, on some of their leases, it, it, what it shows is just like a maturation of short-term rentals within the multifamily space. And that it is a, it's a, it's a viable and a valuable uh, source of income. Um, and there's different models and there's different players and, and it's so large and so diverse in terms of the, um, I mean, just in the U.S., but just the, the product types and, and the positioning of them, that there really is room for multiple players um, doing, you know, slightly different models on that. So, so yeah, it's uh, it, it it did not sink any of us, uh, the, the whole pandemic thing. I think it ultimately just caused some innovation and, and made a lot of us stronger. You know, maybe there's a little more debt on the books for some of us, but <laughs> uh, it all worked out. Speaking of innovation, Mickey, where, where do you see what's like the next big, you know, using your crystal ball here, what do you think is the next big like tech like thing that's going to really change specifically like your, you know, the multifamily, you know, model, but maybe it doesn't have, maybe let's take specifically out of there just in the, in, you know, what do you see being the next big thing? Yeah, I, I mean, I think one of the next big things is already here, um, which is is the something we don't do, but we would like to get into. But is the is the full building approach, or at least the you know the blended approach within a building where everyone can do short term rentals, and you know some of the units are dedicated, and and some of the residents doing it. So you know, I think it was championed by well Airbnb multifamily, then Nido, and then now you've got like the likes of Iconic and Central. Um, Orion House. Um, I hear rumors that one of the lyric guys, right? Joe is is uh, is is doing you know an investment platform around that. Um, so I think that I think that that's a really interesting thing that I think um, is, is just a very candid look at the multifamily uh, product type and around the various uses. And, and I think that that's even limiting. You know, it's. These, these units can be used as temporary office spaces. They can be used in, in different ways, but I think it's just a more pragmatic approach to the real estate to say, hey, there's no need to be as rigid with the entire infrastructure of, of multifamily where insurance companies, lenders, um, equity partners, GPs, operators, they're all sort of wired around one function. I think it's, it's I mean, it's putting their money where their mouths are on like, no, this, this inventory can be used in different ways. Um, and I think, you know, one of the knock-on effects of that is you see more adoption of smart tech throughout the entire, um, you know, guest and resident experience, which ultimately I think is, is good for residents. It's good for investors. It's good for the operators. Um, so I think that that's interesting. I also think there's going to be some, some bigger waves on the, uh, on the on the distribution side of things, the OTA side. I mean, we, we include Airbnb as an OTA in our at least in our minds, even though they don't call themselves that. Um, I think there's still room <clears throat> for more of those players. Um, you saw Marriott Homes and Villas enter the fray. I assume some of these other big hoteliers are, are going to get into that. I mean, they are after all marketing, branding, um, you know, companies with with big user bases. And I think there's room for, for some bottom up things, you know, maybe Vector does something along those lines at some point, a, a distribution play um, that's collaborative and cooperative within the space and, and, uh, and maybe resets on some of these things. I mean, I think our gripes with each OTA, I won't, I won't enumerate them, but I think whatever ones we have for each one of the respective OTAs, many of, many of the other players would have to. Um, and so right. I think, you know, those, those solutions that are brought forth by operators on key functions like distribution, um, 
I think I think they they can wind up making a lot of sense, and I think they can reset things um, in a way that's equitable for consumers and for for the, the distributors. I think it's I think it's going to be interesting too, like seeing the things that are coming out, like that came out of BRMA, like uh, what Dennis is doing with Gestor, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think cool. that can have a huge impact, especially like in the multifamily, and not let alone the vacation rental, but like in the multifamily space. When they're if they're able to build that out and and really bring that platform out, I think that'll be crazy because it's going to change yeah, yeah. the way investment happens, particularly in the multifamily space. So well, shout they out can, to they can change that. I think maybe yeah. selfishly, yeah. I looked at it and said, yeah. "Oh, this can change the way that we go to market with our with our business development." I mean, this can this puts us in the driver's seat as if we had a fund behind us to go and Absolutely. pick our properties that we wanted to go, you know, upfit and then and then operate. Um, now I haven't done it yet with with Gester, but I, I right. signed up as a as an alpha or beta user. Yeah. Into uh, with that same mindset of probably how Central works with Iconic to a certain extent. You know, where they they, right. they probably help source some deals occasionally and and uh, and, and pitch the investment committee. So it's yeah. it's that's a really cool innovation. I hope to see more of that. Yeah, me too. I think it's going to be super interesting. Well, it's uh, what's the, I mean. It's the this twenty twenty one. We've kind of talked about where you're going. You know, we is. Do you have any like words of wisdom for the uh, for our audience that you like to kind of leave everyone with today? I got a question before you go. All right, yeah, yeah. Mickey, what do you do when a building blows up? <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah. So we. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't, wasn't our units, uh, as far as we know, you know, we had nothing to do with it, but yes, we did have a, a building that had a, um, uh, gas explosion on the main line to the property. And, uh, and we had units, you know, that were online and we had guests in them. And so, I mean, yeah, your, your first thought is, oh shit, you know, and, and, right. um, you know, what's, what happened here? Did we cause this or whatever? But, but your next thought is just, practical one, right? Like, all right, let's, let's check on our guests. Let's go to the problem. Let's run to the problem, not away from it and see how we can help. Let's, let's communicate. Uh, I heard this thing when, when, you know, unfortunately one of those flights went down a few years ago, but they talked about a framework for pilots and it's aviate, navigate, communicate in terms of importance. And I think that we, we sort of follow that as a, as a short term rental operator, you know, first you got to you got to take the actions. You got to be on the right path, and then you know you got to make sure you communicate internally, and then also to any other stakeholders. So, um, yeah, that was that was an unfortunate incident. I mean, thankfully uh, uh, nobody had died from it, but there were some serious injuries uh, and, and pretty pretty bad. But uh, but yeah, I mean to the to the question of of wisdom, man. I I don't know. I'm I'm generally not someone who who. Uh, puts himself on any kind of pedestal or platform. I mean, I'm, um, I feel like I've had my set of experiences and I do try to learn from them and I will share those stories and, and impart any knowledge or lessons learned along the way to anybody who wants to hear them. But um, I'm definitely not gonna preach anything. Uh, I don't think this is the path for everyone. Um, I don't think everyone needs to even try to build a skill <laughs> short to middle business. I mean. Part of me kicks myself for for even having this ambition to go do basically remote management, right? I mean, there's there's no good way to do this, at least not being bootstrapped, unless there's some level of remote uh, management. Being a local operator makes a ton of sense. You can go see the properties yourself in person every single time relatively easily. You can go respond to issues. You can hire the people face-to-face, whatever. but I don't know. We saw a gap. I, I've, I've never really been into easy things. Um, I've been into doing things that are kind of hard or, and difficult, and and that's what's kept it engaging for me. I mean, here we are, almost four years in, and and I mean, I'm I still wake up every day and you know take care of my kids, and then I grind. Um, so so yeah, I think maybe that's a more meta takeaway is just make sure it's something that whether whether you have a pure hospitality passion, which by the way, when I started this, I did not. Um, I was more, it was more like. It's more analytical. It was like, oh, there's a problem here. Somebody should solve this. Why not me? How how would we go about doing this? And then you know, and then started building it. Um, uh, but if you have a hospitality passion, or if you have a problem, you know, a problem sort of orientation, and uh, and you think it's a big enough problem, and then you know, I think that the other component 
that I wish we had a little bit more of, but that like make the world a better place thing, you know, is this really a worthwhile endeavor? Um, you know, we're not, we're not solving climate change here. In fact, we're, we're contributing to it by encouraging people to travel. And so, so I think that's, that's another consideration. You know, some kind of social, um, social impact play. I think that that's important, at least for me. I mean, I, I think that that's something that makes it more interesting. Now that said, since we built something here, um, we have those opportunities. We, we have the opportunities to, contri to contribute, to, to, you know, to do carbon offsets, um, something we're, we're working on rolling out. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we thought about, you know, what else could we do? How could we at least help people? Um, so another thing that's coming down the pike is, is, you know, spouses that need some temporary lodging, you know, need a, a place to land for a couple of days until they uh, can get some other assistance. You know, we're, we're looking at a, a couple of different organizations nationally that we can partner with to do that because we have vacancy, right? We, we always have vacancy. Um, and so that's something that we feel like we can do and we should. Um, so I love that. I, I yeah. think that more and more need to kind of think outside the box and, you know, there's, there is there is a responsibility that you know that that we have as operators as yeah it, with when we have the ability to do it you know why you know what sort of true philip philanthropic I'm having a hard time with my words today um <laughs> approach can we can we go ahead and do and uh and to put it out there i love that what yeah, and I think, you know, there's the organizations out there like, you know, travel, uh, the travel group that's working against climate emergencies and things of that nature. I, I actually, a group I just saw a couple weeks ago, I think I saw them one time overseas. Um, they were starting kind of uh, Bob Garner's event. Uh, Bob Garner does this thing with uh, travel and climate emergencies. It's actually really great. It, you know, want to really see that kind of grow. Um, but Mickey, it also brings up a good question, right, too. Right about um, there, there is a real question about the industry and the state of who is your company? What is your company? Right, like, are, is there a room for middle-sized management companies, small to middle-sized you know companies anymore? Right, like you spoke about the value of being local and doing that. You know, not everybody's going to be a Vacasa or V Trips or a, a Vector in that space. You know, is there room for that? Right. And, and I don't know that companies really I think some have their identity kind of figured out, but I think a lot of people are trying to keep up with the Joneses in this space. And one of the things you said is like, maybe they don't need to be that, you know, maybe they don't need to do this. You know, maybe they can if they focused on running a more just effective business within their space and, you know, having a firm identity and who and what their company kind of is and who they want to be, it'd be you know, more, more beneficial. I think, I think people would find more uh, value and more success within their space. Cause they're not. I mean, I would say at least, ghost, right. I, I would say that they could at least only do the things they want to do. I mean, I don't think everybody has to be the, the off the shelf kind of full service solution that was once the norm uh, just because yeah. there's so many vendors, so many solutions um, so many different ways to run this business now that you could, I mean, you could pick a, a niche within the niche and focus on that. So maybe it's, maybe it's running the local property operations and your, you know, your owner account management, essentially. Um, and then you farm out online work, or maybe it's vice versa. Maybe you do the online right. work and farm out some of the other stuff, the ops. Um, so I think there's that. And, and I think, I think that those are viable. I think uh, I think that there there are some winning formulas there. Um, I mean, look at look at Evolve. I mean, that's how Evolve yeah. started. Sure, it's like a different a different model and a different take on it. And obviously, we're we're talking you know their scale um, is a little is a little different, but you know that's a val a viable option in is in a market with the tools that are available to to anybody now. Well, I think it's interesting too. I mean, you, you see a manager that's like, look, I don't want to go over 50 units. I want to manage 50, right? And you can yeah. build a profitable, viable business, hopefully off of those 50 units, right? As, as opposed to feeling like, oh my God, I got to get to 300, 2000, 1000. Like, you know, if that's your goal and that's your dream, shoot for the stars. Yeah, not a problem at all. But I think there's a, a large contingent out there of managers that have small to medium-sized businesses that are okay with that. And yes, I, I talked to... And, I, 
Sorry. Yeah. I, no, I was just I, my first BRMA in, uh, in a few years in San Antonio. And I talked to some more, you know, traditional vacation rental managers whose unit counts were, you know, 200, 400, but their revenue per unit was so significant um, that, you know, they were running these pretty robust, uh, I mean, still small businesses, but really solid small businesses that, um, provided really well for their families, uh, you know, gave them resources to, to do some other things like start other businesses or invest in real estate or, or, you know, dropping stuff. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, man, I mean, we're, we're, we're not, um, we're not vanity driven in our unit count number. I mean, it's, it's more just like, we're just going to keep doing the inputs to keep growing and all that. Um, I would love it if we could mirror the, the 200 unit mountain market vacation home company in terms of it's just not, it's not, it's not what we do. And we, I guess being a hospitality uh, culture on the, on the client acquisition side, I mean, we find ways to say yes. I mean, we, uh, we have some product that's like a tier one market, you know, CBD. It's awesome. We also have some product that's B minus in tier three markets that, Nobody whiteboarded to be in. Um, the only right. thing that we whiteboarded was, hey, let's be client-driven and, and let's find a way to say yes. If it's legal and if we can build any case for demand, then let's go do it. And uh, again, our measuring stick is first internal maybe, you know, like how, how have we done compared to ourselves previously? So just making sure we're, we're constantly getting better. But then also, you know, we're held up against rents. I mean, that's different in the vacation rental space. They, yeah. um, it might be the owner's carrying costs or, you know, right. it might be something else, maybe what they did with their prior manager um, or what they did doing themselves on Verbo in the past or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, we, I think we each just have to construct a, a winning formula that also motivates us to continually improve. Mickey, it's been awesome having you on, man. I really appreciate getting to know you and getting to know your business and, and yeah. thank, thanks so much for joining us for episode 26, man. Yeah, man, it was really fun. And Mateo, always good to see you. Good to see you too. I'll see you soon. And we'll have you back sometime, brother. This is not the last time. So thanks (laughs) for joining us. Yeah, thanks again, man. 